Hello everyone and welcome back to another show of Dirty Money. My name's Mike. I'm back like I never left. Today we got a real exciting show for you. We're going to talk about the Las Vegas fear and how the place spent $2 billion and is still losing money. Facebook's going to try to re-enter communist China. I don't know how that's going to look. IRS is putting out new tax brackets. The consumer price index actually dropped, and this is big news. Truth is, is that it's still going. And another thing we're going to talk about is Exxon is now getting into lithium mining, as well as whiskey investing is really taken off in the last decade. And AMC, the movie company, is now offered $350 million in stock and made their whole world go up and down. But needless to say, if you're listening to us on a podcast, please download us, give us a five-star rating. That way we can get the information out to more people. Also, if you're watching on any of the social media networks, YouTube, Rumble, um, Facebook, wherever you see us, make sure to give us a like and uh, hit the ringer so that way you can listen to us. Anyway, needless to say, first on our list is the Las Vegas sphere. If you haven't heard about the Las Vegas sphere, it's that huge dome that is all paneled out so it can be a complete active screen where you can actually see the whole dome. I mean, this thing's massive, holds holds tons and tons of people, and you can have a digital on the inside and on the outside. It's all a big screen. But you, the original plan was for, for it to be about a billion dollars in cost, and James Dolan, who owns um, pretty much – Half of all of the uh, communications in New York. No, I'm just kidding. He owns the Madison Square Garden Company, Cablevision, Optimum Cable. His brothers own the Guardians, which are the baseball team formerly known as the Indians in uh, Ohio. But he spent a billion dollars or was going to spend a billion dollars on the sphere. He ended up spending $2 billion. It literally doubled the budget. And within the first quarter of it being open, they lost $98 million in operations. Now, I heard from a few different people that when U2 was playing there, they actually, panels were starting to glitch already, which makes me think, where did he get the panels from? Uh, I'm going to guess China. But anyway, the, at, when they announced that they were going to lose the money, a week after that, their CFO, Guatam Ranj, resigned. And uh, this, he was the chief financial officer for the Spheres Entertainment. Um, you know, he only served there for about 11 months. Uh, but he's on the board of an American, uh, Blavity, Blavity, an American media company and uh, website based in L.A. And uh, it's created for uh, black millennials. And then the board of Breakthrough New York, which empowers motivated students for low-income backgrounds to graduate from college and pursue a fulfilling career in New York. So Ranji had a very, very unique background. But, you know, as soon as the, the money hit the ceiling, he, he flew the coop pretty quick. Um, interestingly, he's also uh, the executive vice president of strategic planning and business development at Paramount Global and CBS Corp. Now, Interestingly enough, that comes full circle because Paramount sold MSG to Cablevision and ITT back in the 90s. So Cablevision is Dolan's company, or his father started it, now it's his. 
And um, he more or less pays attention to the Madison Square Garden Company. That's the same people that own Radio City Music Hall, Madison Square Garden, uh, where the Knicks and the Rangers play. But they also own the Knicks and the Rangers as a team as well. So it kind of comes full circle with Ranji being the CFO of the Sphere, which is funded 100% by Dolan's family and uh, his corporation. Um, but he was also part of Viacom, CBS, and, and uh, Street chief strategy officer at Argus Capital Group. So uh, Ranji um, delivered his notice in the middle of a meeting with a handful of senior executives sitting there, including Dolan. Uh, so it's really interesting when you look at the the whole picture is like, this guy definitely saw the writing on the wall, but he also wanted to make a statement when he left the building. And, and he did that. And, you know, Christine Spade uh, is now the CEO of Dolan's Cable TV broadcaster company, AMC Networks. It's another thing Dolan owns. Um, she also left the company in November after a three-month uh, stint at the job. So I think uh, on the sphere, there's a lot of people that saw the writing on the wall and recognized that this kind of technological undertaking on such a massive scale just had a lot of potholes in it. And, and essentially, I think the place is going to continue to lose money. Um, it, it is a sight to see. I'm going to go to Vegas in the next week or two. I'm going to check it out. Um, maybe we'll post one up on the Dirty Money Instagram, a picture of it, just to see what it looks like. Um, but it, but there's one thing, you know, there, there's a saying in business, as you see these people leave, is uh, people don't quit companies. They quit managers. And really, fundamentally, a good manager can lead a company through times by winning the loyalty and the respect of the, of the staff that he has. And a bad manager, even when the company's doing great, he he's uh, going to lose his employees because he just doesn't manage them correctly. And I'm not saying Dolan's not managing them correctly, but, I mean, it speaks for itself. I think there's a lot of technical faults that came into play and uh, a lot of different things going on. Talking about poor management of a company, Facebook is now re-entering the Chinese market. So in 2009, the Chinese Communist Party decided to ban Facebook completely. So now Zuckerberg, after facing this incredible metaverse, going to run the world, change my whole company name to Meta, didn't really didn't really do much. I mean, I think uh, he he's at a huge loss with the metaverse. He thought it was going to take off. Truth being told is, you know, three pounds on your face for more than 30 minutes is a bit much. Um, so it never really went forward. So he's going to start partnering now with Tencent Holdings, which is like a huge juggernaut in global gaming industry. Uh, but as you may or may not know, when you go into China, they have firewalls up that restrict information going to their citizens. So their communication, uh, they block a lot of the truth that goes to and from the citizens in that country. And when you come in and do business there, you have to make agreements with the Chinese Communist Party, especially on the large, large scale. When you're Google or your Facebook or Twitter or any of those things or X, whatever you want to call it, you have to make a deal with these communists. and. and yeah, I'm going to be clear with you. Communism fundamentally is the most evil thing on the planet that we have. Uh, don't make a deal with the devil. 
it's just cut and dry. I mean, you got a hundred years on this earth. It's not about money. It's about, you know, people. So uh, Zuckerberg desperate to try to fix the metaverse and make sure that he can come out on top, decided that he's going to go into China and collaborate with Tencent. And now how it's working is, is that Tencent will control all of the actual software not the software, but the actual uh, apps and engagement on the headset devices. But uh, Meta will get the money from selling the headsets in China. And so that's where they kind of did all right. Yeah, about two years ago when uh, the Google or the Meta Quest came out, the Pro or the 2, it did really, really well. They sold like 10 million of them. They were in Costco. They were pretty much everywhere. And... Um, that's what they're hoping to do in China. I don't think they're going to see a lot of success there. Um, they might sell more units than here. It'll kind of be more or less a fad. I look at it like the Nintendo Wii or uh, things like that. It, it, it's a fad unless you can get the weight and the price down. So the reason the, the Quest actually worked is you could get the whole thing for about you know 400 bucks. I've actually got one here. I never really use it at all, to be honest. I got it, uh, checked it out, learned about it, but that's it. Um, so he he's signing a deal that I don't think he, he should sign. Um, but again, he's trying to save himself by doing the, the sales and get the numbers out and get the metaverse going. Like Horizon Worlds was supposed to be like this virtual place where everybody lived. I think there was a lot of, a lot of, amp behind it you know a lot of hype behind the whole thing uh especially with ready player one the movie all that stuff it was like you know are people going to really stop living in reality uh and i think over the last couple of years uh no one's really sticking with putting a headset on their on their head and just kind of living in the metaverse so we'll see what happens in china but again if i was if i was running that company i would not sell out uh, for censorship, because in order for him to present any of the meta and uh, Facebook and all of that uh, software application, all that stuff, he's he's gonna have to bow down to them uh, with it. And you know, Ready Player One, if you haven't seen it, it's it's pretty cool, and you can definitely check it out. But the truth is, is that it's it's gonna it's definitely gonna compromise the information going in and out of that device for those people in China, which it should never. Um, speaking of a bit of a compromise, the IRS has now come out with new tax brackets. Um, basically, they're increasing the taxes for everybody. Um, and, and the truth is, is that they're allowing you to write more off for everybody too. So the income brackets, which pretty much stay the same, 10%, 12%, 22%, 24 32 35 37 um, you know, they're, they're just increasing those. So uh, if you make X amount of dollars, you can see here that it, it kind of breaks down for how much you make and, and what you're actually going to spend uh, on taxes every year. So the deductions and all the above. But if, if you're making... 12, 10%, you know, you're making anywhere from 11,000 to, or up to $11,000, you're going to get taxed about 10%, which it's really, 
really seems like a lot for somebody making 11 grand a year or 30 grand a year. I don't think anybody should get taxed at that bracket at all. Um, you know, I don't know anybody that could survive in the United States right now on 30 grand a year for as a family or 10 grand as an individual oh, with with the cost of living, housing and all the above. I really think the the tax bracket should start at six figures uh, personally, but 12 percent, you're at 11 to about 40, 50,000. And then it jumps up. You're going to go back up to around, you know, that that's when you see the big jump is from 12 to 22 percent. And then you have incremental. Once you hit 37 percent, that means as an individual, you'd be making over six hundred thousand dollars a year. And as a couple, you'd be making over seven hundred thirty thousand dollars a year. So almost the three quarters of a million dollars you're taxed at 37 percent. Again, I think that's pretty extreme, too. I think, you know, 10 percent maybe would be reasonable. but you know, ever since 1913, when we started to create the income tax, it was only supposed to be for a couple of years to get us out of the out of the hole. Here we are, a hundred years later, and they're increasing it, playing with it every year. And it, it it's pretty it's pretty ridiculous to be honest. Uh, if you don't know about how the tax uh, act worked, make sure to give this a read right here. Um, it's it's pretty ridiculous. Um, but they also did allow you to get more of a write-off. So it's gone up 5.5% on your standard deduction. So you're making more, they're letting you write off more. Again, it's kind of like a game play. Uh, so with everything put in there, your taxes might be lowered a little bit, but nothing really significant. And that brings me to another thing, which is our uh, consumer price index, CPI. Now, the CPI kind of dictates what's the inflation rates for going on in in the United States and where it goes. So right now we're at 3.2% and everybody goes, okay, good. We're not at 3.7% and we're not growing. So for the last 12 months up until October, the consumer price index rose every month over month over month. And now we've got a decline and we're going to see that decline because interest rates went down quite a bit, right? So or I mean, went up quite a bit, not down. And, and the interest rates, when they went up, it, it allowed for less spending. Uh, Money is really tight right now in the financial markets. But but to be honest, you know, seven percent interest rates pretty normal prior to twenty years ago. Uh, twenty years ago, that's what that's what interest rates were. Money was was moving. In that direction. I mean, there were times in the 80s and 90s and 70s where, where you were looking at, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 percent for all kinds of loans. Um, it wasn't until recently, the last 20 years, where we saw interest rates, you know, two and three percent. Those are those are just ridiculously low for money. And the truth is, is that it's really controlled by the Federal Reserve. Um uh, which is dictated by our treasury and and they control how the interest rates work in the United States and those reflect how much money costs people to build houses to buy houses to get cars all the above so it's pretty interesting to think about you know that people are saying it's slowing for the CPI uh, slowing down we're not at 3.7 it's slowing down but when you really look at it it's like you can be in a car that goes 100 miles an hour and it slows down to 80. You're still doing 80. So it's like, you know, we're, we're still cooking along at 3.2%.
So, you know, that says whatever you bought last year for $10 is now $13.20. That's a significant number when you really think about it from that perspective. What can you spend $3 on now that you have to spend it on the same thing last year that was 10 So, you know, it, it, it's pretty interesting. Um, the biggest uh, inflation uh, recreation category slowed by 0.1% for the month. Uh, down from 0.4% in September, and, and the prices are now up again. So, uh, you know, we'll see what happens and where it all goes. But uh, another company that's trying to get out of uh, losses, like everybody else who's experienced a tremendous loss, is uh, Exxon. If you don't know who Exxon is, they're basically, they were one of the wealthiest companies in the world prior to the tech boom, right? So Exxon essentially controlled a big portion of the oil industry, which was really the 90s and 80s, the, the largest companies in the world. They had the most money. It's not until the 2000s and the 2010s and now the 20s where the tech giants have the most money. But they're now planning to be leading producer of lithium for electric vehicles. So, so they, they're seeing the writing on the wall as a company. And uh, they're going to open the first lithium mine in Arkansas. Um, that's going to happen. So there, there's a huge stack over formation in southern Arkansas. That's about 120,000 gross acres that Exxon acquired. Like, it's a lot of land. Um, you know, and, and they're going to start mining lithium there. And really, th they want to have control of what they're doing. So in 50 years, when you start to see these regulations come in from the United States government, where where all these car manufacturers have to step away from oil, Exxon's a sitting duck. They're, they're, they're going to be a nothing. Uh, so they obviously had to make the transition and make it fast. And they've done it now um, with this. This is a big deal. This is going to essentially be one of the biggest mines um, in North America. So it's a it's a pretty prolific, uh, you know, lithium resource. And they, they could begin production in Arkansas as early as 26. I'm really curious about uh, what the governor of Arkansas has to say about this. But I'm pretty sure she's going to she's going to say no problem. Um, but also if you live in that area and, you know, you got 120,000 acres, I, I, they might make it to where you can't even see the mine itself unless you were looking at it with a drone or from the sky. So you might drive right by it and never even know it exists. That's kind of stuff that they would do. Uh, I don't know how it's going to impact the environment. I don't know if they're going to try to go underground and mine for it, strip mine for it. I'm assuming it's going to be a strip mine. And then that's going to be a pretty interesting thing. It will definitely provide a lot of work to that uh, economy there. You're going to probably see the same type of boom you see in Texas and the oil fields uh, over the last 15 years. Um, and I think they're going to definitely see an increase in people moving to Arkansas for, for mining jobs with, uh, with Exxon. 
but ultimately how's it going to affect our trade too because we don't really produce a lot of the lithium here in america at all i mean the the these other, you know, third world countries are mainly the producers of lithium. And so, and will it have any real effect on our economy? I don't know. I think Arkansas, it will definitely affect their economy. I mean, they've only got, you know, a small, smaller population compared to the other states. But fundamentally, the big thing that you'd want to look for here is like the environmental impact. What are they going to do in that area? What, what, you know, endangered species exist there. I mean, in New York, if you go and have an endangered rattlesnake on a piece of land and you're trying to build a few houses, you have to have a completely separate study done to show that you're not going to impact that that uh, species population. So uh, I'm curious if they're going to even be able to really make headway there and get through the whole process uh, for this mining it would be the first of its kind on that magnitude in the United States. Um, so we'll see what happens if they do there. There's definitely big money in it. And I think Exxon will pivot more and you'll start to see more and more of this type of operation taking place with Exxon. And they're going to try to, you know, they, they want to keep their shareholders happy. They want to make sure that the shareholders, you know, can see positive growth and they don't start dumping the stock. But another company that wants to see positive growth and doesn't want to dump this stock uh, is AMC. If you're familiar with AMC movie theaters, uh, it has nothing to do with Dolan's AMC Networks, which has The Walking Dead. We were just talking about James Dolan. This is AMC, the movie theater chain, um, and, and AMC Entertainment. They they filed last week a prospectus to offer up 350 millions of stock. Uh, pressuring shares and, and pre-market trading. So so basically, not only did the shares fall 18%, it definitely uh, had a big effect on the stock. And they, they kind of knew it was happening. They, they, they sent a notice that, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be volatile. Um, but their stock's been volatile before when they had the squeeze. Um, I think that was 21, 20, you know, the uh, Wall Street bets. Uh, AMC was one of the stocks that just went through the roof. Um, you know, it went to hundreds of dollars and it made them a really valuable company. But now that we're out of 2020 and all the COVID nonsense, there are there's people that just aren't returning to the movie theaters like you would think. You get a couple of good ones, but AMC is also hitting the the SAG, uh, um, the all the SAG. Um, protests and uh when they did the strike and the writer's strike so there's not going to be a lot of movies coming out i mean uh dune 2 was supposed to come out this year it's not going to come out so that big push you see in the holiday season which is right around the corner you're not going to see it so much at amc so so the guy's thinking how do i how do i continue to generate revenue for my company well i'll let you some more stock and then we'll get 350 million dollars to keep us alive and that's exactly what he's doing. He's trying to breathe a little bit of life into the company. Uh, but the truth is, is I don't think AMC is going to see see a lot of light uh, in the next, you know, this quarter or the first quarter because there's no films coming out. Really, the next time that you're going to get a huge boost in the in the movie theater world is going to be 2024. Um, and you know, there, I think there's ways to innovate. 
Uh, me personally, if you know there's a big sporting event coming up or in a local area, I think it would be a no-brainer to start advertising. Watch your favorite team on the biggest screen in town. It only makes sense. Um, but I haven't seen much of that at all, you know. And a lot of AMCs offer food now. So I think if if, if they did a little bit of pivoting uh, in their world to, to being a sports uh, venue to watch you know, your favorite team, the local favorite at the local movie theater, charge 10 or 15 bucks. I know I'd go. Um, so I think that's a better way of pivoting uh, in the long term uh, because people are still watching movies at home. You know, I, there's a couple of movies I wanted to see, like The Creator. I just never got in. I never got a chance to go see it. And I was like, I'll just watch it at home. It'll be out in a month or two. And it was. They, they released it December 12th and I'll watch it at my house. So that, that's the thing that they have to fight is, you know, what's worth watching on a huge scale that that's that that awesome. And really, you know, the NFL is is a huge, huge, huge market. I mean, they trump everybody's ratings across the board when it comes to television. So if if uh, the CEO of AMC really wanted to step up to the plate, I'd say let's pivot away from. Uh, movies or at least divulge into another sector of actually doing um you know doing nfl uh uh broadcasting in the theaters and so that would be cool obviously they'd have to create some kind of agreement with the nfl to do it um, there'd probably be a lot of upfront cost to them. Maybe that's why they're raising money. They want $200 million to give the NFL for 2024. I don't know. But uh, to me, that's that's where the home run would be. Uh, speaking of it, getting investment funding, whiskey investing is now a real thing. Uh, whiskey Rare whiskey returned 314% in the last decade, making it the best performing asset. Uh, I, you know, that's according to Knight Frank luxury, uh, investment index and, and the majority of American whiskey brands make market themselves to consumers as craft boutique products. However, you know, the reality is most of the brands source all the whiskey from the same, same places, large industrial contract distilleries. Um, you know, I was looking into it. You can get a, you can get a barrel of whiskey for around $1,600. I don't know how many bottles it makes or anything, but you can buy a barrel of whiskey and, you know, have it at your house, however you want to do it. Aged whiskey is better. So it's like when you buy it, you sit on it and then you make some more money. But the, the spirits market, it really isn't slowing down on any level. I mean, everybody is drinking nowadays. You go to, you go to an event and people go to the bar and they go, why aren't you drinking? You know, that that's that's a legitimate question. If you're out and having a good time with friends and they say, why aren't you drinking? It's like, wow, I never realized that it was that big of a deal. So it, it's it's no surprise to me that this market is a huge market and a lot of space to make money. So uh, it's expected to increase by 30% in 2020, by 2025. So again, huge numbers. Like, you know that that's a not not investment advice, no way, shape, or form am I giving advice. But you know, to me, that's a win. You're you're looking at a 20, 25 to thirty uh, percent year over year increase. Like 
that's a home run. You're going to definitely, definitely see a lot of success there. Um, you know, just to give you a little bit of idea, if you've never heard of Knight Frank Luxury Investment Index, it tracks the value of uh, passion investments like cars, art, watches, handbag, wine, coins, jewelry, furniture, um, diamonds, and, and rare whiskey. So uh, it's it's pretty interesting to look into rare whiskey. Um, you know, you got the the different kinds and and there's bottles that uh, go a lot. So, but in the last 10 years, the number of craft distilleries in the U.S. has increased from 100 to more than 2,000 too. So you have a lot of people doing craft distilleries. Um, I, I actually was at one um, in the early 2000s. That was one of the first craft uh, distilleries in Michigan. Um, and they were actually making vodka. They weren't doing whiskey. So it, it, I think it's a good bet. But again, it's not financial investment advice. But, you know, alcohol always wins in the United States. Uh, and if you want to make an investment, whiskey is right now off to the races and winning. So that's all I got for today. If you enjoy what I say and you're interested in hearing more, please leave uh, comments below. I will read them and I will respond. And also, uh, if you're interested in certain topics you want me to research and go through, I'm more than happy to do that. And again, thank you for listening and watching Dirty Money.